2: This week, we're going to revisit an issue that we discussed uh, more than two years ago, actually three years ago on this podcast, uh, and an issue that we've been remiss in following up on. It's central to so many uh, experiences, challenges, and potential opportunities in our democracy. It's uh, the question of how we as a society should address uh, issues of sexual assault that are all too common and prevalent in our society, what we're doing to understand the problem, and what we're doing to try to address the problem, especially in some of our cities and other parts of our communities. Uh, we're joined today by two people who have spent more time thinking about these issues and acting on addressing these issues than anyone that I know, uh, and that is uh, Hannah Senko and Alison Alter. Uh, Hannah is a sexual assault survivor whose case was closed uh, by exceptional clearance by the Austin Police Department, which is another way of saying her case was not investigated. Um, She now serves as a survivor, speaker, writer, and advocate fighting for change in the understanding, reporting, and handling of sex crimes, and she was on our podcast three years ago to discuss these issues. Hannah, thank you for joining us again.
0: Thank you. It's wonderful to be back.
2: And we also have Allison Alter, who is mayor pro tem of Austin, Texas and city council person for District 10. Among other things, and among many other things, I can tell you personally, uh, Allison has led city efforts to improve the adjudication and prosecution of sexual assault cases with greater respect for sexual assault survivors. And there has actually been some recent progress that Allison is largely responsible for in city policy, and uh, she will talk about that a little bit on the podcast. She is also Zachary's mother and uh, my wife. Uh, Allison, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So uh, we will start, as always, uh, with Zachary's scene-setting poem here. Uh, Zachary, what's the title of your poem this week? Around the Corner.
1: I like the title. Let's hear it. You spent your Saturday tearing into the cupboards, looking for the letters you wrote to yourself, the notes you left in a scrawled pen, pacing You spent your Saturday, maybe in a park, maybe in a restaurant, thinking of the power, is it fleeting, of what lurks around the corner. You turn the corner, maybe it opens onto a promenade, or a bazaar, or a farmer's market on an asphalt pavilion. You turn the corner, maybe it is bright out there in the world, or it's foggy, or there's snow falling on the frozen ground. You turn the corner, and each one, like hinges glued together, opens onto another, and again onto another, in on itself, until you can no longer see where you started, until you can't tell anymore whether you've turned the corner or simply been standing in place for five years. You spend your Saturday tearing into the back of the cupboards, opening up old wounds in the sides of your walls, gashes, scratches, maybe they are memories, looking for the letters you wrote to yourself. To this future you, you who made it around the corner, when you were bent over, looking at the floor, trying to separate today from tomorrow. You spent your Saturday, maybe in a park, maybe in a restaurant, trying to turn a corner. This time you are sure it opens onto a wide expanse. Thinking of the power, this time you are sure it is fleeting of what lurks around the corner. Wonderful
2: imagery, Zachary. What is your poem about?
1: My poem is really about uh, the struggles of coming to terms with such a deep trauma as that which can stem from an experience uh, like sexual assault. And I think it's uh, it, it tries to at least uh, speak to some of the pain and suffering that can come from, from having to come to terms with that.
2: I, I'm always impressed with how you can uh, put your empathy into words in this way. Uh, Hannah, as, as someone who is so close to these issues and worked so hard on these issues, um, I, I, is Zachary right that we're kind of standing in place over the last few years? Have we made progress? Uh, what have you seen since you've talked to us last three years ago?
0: Yeah. First of all, Zachary, that was really incredible. Thank you. Thank you for that. Nice. Thank you. It, it made me reflect a lot, actually, on my last few years. Um. You know, a little little bit like I shared my testimony at city council recently, like when I started on this journey, um, I really didn't know where I was going. Um, I told myself that I was just to remain open. Um, and as each thing, each new thing came in front of me, that I had to assess it for what it is and make a decision, you know, on how to get forward with it you know, piece by piece. And, and I've I've held true to that. Um, but what that's meant for me over the last three years has, has been a lot of things. Um, it has been incredibly difficult at times. Um, Me, you know, tearing into old wounds, just like Zachary's poem, you know, uh, mentioned. Um, But I've also learned a tremendous amount. I've learned so much about our system um, and about, um, you know, what my assault meant to me because of the system that it fell into. As you know, I am one of the 15 plaintiffs that have brought suit against the city of Austin and Travis County district attorneys. And Over these last few years, we've made a lot of progress and got to a place where we have come to settlement agreement with them, which brings a lot of hope with um, some of the terms that we we want to see implemented with that settlement. Everything from um, changes to staffing and training to data transparency and uh, changes to survivor notification procedures Um, so at the end of at the end of the journey that I've been on I want to look back and feel that it's all been worth it although it's been very difficult and also knowing that there's a lot of change that still needs to continue to happen as we move forward.
2: And I'm so glad Hannah you brought up this major settlement um between the 15 plaintiffs, including yourself, and the city of Austin. Allison, as the city council person who really, I think, took the lead on many of these issues, could you explain to us what the settlement is and your sense of what effects it will have?
3: So as Hannah mentioned, the city was sued by 15 plaintiffs across two lawsuits. And uh, last week, we officially settled Those lawsuits through a vote, a unanimous vote of counsel. And there's two parts of it. The the suit alleged mishandling by APD and the district attorney. And this settlement provides some financial remuneration for the victims, for the plaintiffs. And then it also invests several million dollars into policy changes, some of which we have been working on for many years and others that'll be new. So it's about four million in policy improvements, and about a million of that is still forthcoming to be made by the city. And those things cover a range of needs that we have to improve our sexual assault response system. There are things like adding staffing, which is stuff that we've done for the sex crimes unit, for victim services, um, changing policies so that you have soft interview rooms, you allow third parties to sit in in the interviews, notification protocol improvements, training improvements, community participation improvements, et cetera. We have also are implementing laptops for all sex crimes detectives, adding um, f- some different kinds of staffing to make sure that the process and the data tracking, et cetera, are moving forward, and extensive increases in training for our sex crimes unit. Um, as well as community participation. And then we have a compliance mechanism to make sure this is not a one-off change.
1: Uh, And that comes with an admission of responsibility on the part of the city. Yes.
3: Yes, absolutely. That is uh, something that's really important. Um, There will be an apology from the city. um, And I think that at last week's meeting, it was really important for the council to affirm our commitment to improving this process and recognize that the system had failed these survivors.
2: Hannah, wh- what is your reaction uh, to these, these very substantive measures that Allison has laid out and, and, and pushed for? Do, do you think these will address the main issues or how do you react to them?
0: Um, the way I react is that it's, it's the start, right? Um, we have been failing um, sexual assault survivors for a very long time. And so I think this is the first of many changes that need to happen. Um, And I I believe that we did all that we could in this current lawsuit to take it as far as as we could in that regard. Um, The area that I continue to look at and worry about, quite frankly, is really the culture in which these changes take place. Um, We can implement policy and procedure, but if there really isn't buy-in on those, those same policies and procedures won't be enforced go forward. And so I, I do you know, feel strongly about that compliance component um, that council member Alter mentions. Um, and so I'm trying to remain optimistic, yet the advocate in me continues to want to fight for more and better as we continue to move forward.
2: And and Hannah, if I might follow up on your really important point on culture, uh, it's exactly the issue we wanted to talk about. Uh, What do you see as the challenges in our culture? And I assume you're talking not just about Austin here, but issues that are much larger, probably common in many communities for our listeners.
0: Yeah, Um, and in order to answer that, I actually I look at you know this and actually multiple pieces, Um, one of three. And I think one thing that's really important in understanding this issue of sexual assault is first understanding the history and how we got here. And that's specifically around women's history and gender inequality. And when we look back less than 200 years ago, women were actually property of men first to our, our fathers and then secondarily to the husbands that we were married off to. And if a woman was raped back then, it was actually considered property damage of the male that owned them, not a crime against the woman. Um, and it wasn't until the 1900s that women could actually own their own property. Or, And it wasn't actually until 1993 that the final state here in the United States declared that, that rape and marriage was illegal. Um, and so understanding the cultural change, I think, is a much bigger um, Issue at hand. It involves history. It involves our current society of how women are portrayed in, in media and in movies and in commercials. And it, it includes our society and how it fosters um, toxic beliefs that, that men carry and walk around with. Um, you know, whether that is their um, inability to express deep hurt or pain without shame, um, them being encouraged to solve problems through violence or even finding status in things like money or power and control or sexual conquest. So all of those pieces are part of our current culture, um, and it's it's not a simple fix, um, but they are alive and well in this issue.
1: And Hannah, how do you see those deeper cultural issues in our society as a whole reflected in the institutions of government and law enforcement that are tasked with responding to and prosecuting sexual assault?
0: Yeah, uh, it's interesting when you look at, you know, our police departments, um, they are disproportionately um, run and led by men. And the crime of sexual assault, assault is largely committed by men against women, um, not 100 percent of the time, but, but very often, 90 plus percent of the time. Um, and so right in, in that context, um, it, it pulls in some of that, that history and that societal component that's, that's alive and well. Um, and so, you know, I reflect on that a lot and, and believe that we need to continue to enforce, you know, and, and look for change um, at a much deeper level.
2: Allison, what what are your thoughts on on that? Um, the both the very male dominated and and should we say sometimes hyper masculine nature of policing uh, in Austin and most cities in the United States, and and also the bureaucratic elements of this too that often get in the way that I think were implied in Hannah's answer as well.
3: Absolutely, there are biases that have been created over time within the system. What's important, though, to note is that the system and has so many different pieces that impact the experience of someone who's going through this as a survivor. And if you cannot relate to the violence and the trauma that they've experienced, which is, I think, harder for men to do when we're talking about the violation of women in this very uh, personal way, and as Hannah mentioned, it's not just women you you see things that happen in the process that ignore the experience of the survivor just from an experience going through the trauma of the aftermath. And that also leads to things that don't happen in the prosecution. So from the time that 911 is called all the way through until there is or isn't a DA prosecution at every step What we found was that the system didn't really think about it from the perspective of the survivor, and the survivor was a woman. The system was set up largely by men.
2: Right, and this is a theme uh, that we've discussed uh, so often on this podcast, the importance of developing empathy, of learning to understand uh, through historical investigation, And, and Hannah gave us a great description of this how our institutions have uh, evolved over time and how individuals are treated by those institutions and to be able to see that from their point of view, not just our own. Um, Hannah, what do you think we need to do to create more empathy uh, among citizens in general uh, who, who still have trouble in many cases identifying with the experience you have had and so many other women and men?
0: Yeah. Um- You know, I think awareness and understanding is certainly um, a first step. Um, I think we have got to continue to make this a conversation um, that is safe. Because I truly believe that sexual assault has and is affecting everyone in our nation, whether they know it or not. Um, If you're not a victim, you certainly know victims. Um, whether it's husbands of victims or friends or parents or siblings, um, we're all affected by it. And um, I think the first thing that we've got to be able to do is create a safe space to be able to start having the conversations, um, knowing that there's going to be discomfort, um, but we've got to be able to move through that discomfort and allow this to be a conversation that um, we can have much more often.
3: Jeremy, if I can add to that, if I could add to that, um part of what I learned through this process was really the importance of listening. The women who came forward as the plaintiffs were brave beyond belief in sharing their stories, sharing their traumas and showing it up to the light so that the rest of us could hear and part of how you get empathy is you have to listen and you have to be able to admit there's a problem that needs solving and to figure out what is your role in solving that. What we had to come to grips with as a city council and as a city is that the trust of our community was broken. Um, These women had been failed by the system and we are trying to put the system back together in a way so that no person has to experience sexual assault and then spend years advocating to be heard. Instead, they will be believed, they will be treated with dignity, their trauma will be recognized, um, and we will work through the systems of justice and the protections and various things that we have so that justice can be delivered and if there are perpetrators out there that they can't go out and do it again.
2: And, and I, I want to follow up on that, Allison, and talk about uh, what we can learn going forward, just as you started to articulate so well, uh, for various parts of our country uh, and other countries too. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to come back to Hannah on one more thing. Um, how should we address cases where, especially when they're public cases, uh, and we can think of many, where there really is a, a he said, she said, uh, where there are radically conflicting accounts. Uh, We can all think of many very public examples of this. Um, How should we have a productive discourse that doesn't just fall into what I think we've had so far, which is where people just choose sides based on who they like more?
0: Right. Um, I think many cases um, have much more evidence than we want to believe. And I think that is where the system has actually failed us up until this point. Um, I think it's been very rare that cases have been taken seriously and thorough investigations are being done so that adequate evidence can even be identified and brought forward. Whether that's thorough you know, review of crime scenes to, to gather such evidence, uh, follow up with witnesses, um, you know, ensuring that the rape kits are tested timely. Um, On top of all that, though, you know, I hear you're getting at that consent defense issue. And I do believe with the right training and the right skill and the right intention, the interviewing of perpetrators and victims can look very different um, and, and have a very skilled approach to it that can help overcome that consent defense
2: Right. And it seems like that would, would involve a lot of training and a lot of experience, which again, many as you pointed out in this uh, culture don't don't have and are not open to in all cases. Um, so So Allison, coming back then to your excellent points uh, on policy, w- not just what have you learned uh, about listening, but what have you learned about policy making and what can we take forward from the experience, the history that you and Hannah have shared? For improving things, especially improving our culture, as as Hannah um, highlighted for us?
3: Well, from the policy system perspective, it's really understanding the complexity and the interactions. In order to get to the point where we're at, we have to look at everything from when that 911 call was made all the way through who was occupying the DA's office. And the women who were involved as the plaintiffs also pushed. Um, to change our DA, and that has helped on the other end of the process. Um, and their their sex crimes unit, you know, as as Hannah just said, they need to be trained in the interviewing. All of those pieces have to happen. You have to have a space where you're interviewing. The detectives have to have a laptop so they can go out, you know, in the scene and be working on their cases out there. There are just so many inner connected things. And the system can be broken without it being any one person's fault or it being intentional. But I think the system can also change with enough push. You know, the lawsuit was one push. We had DNA evidence um, that was tampered with in a lab that was closed before that. We had the exceptional clearance um, data revealed by ProPublica and and other sources you need everyone it's you know the media it's council members taking this up it's you know staff on our end who are who are listening to the lawsuit and trying to find ways forward that really address the core of the plaintiff's concern which was never the remuneration and was much more about how do we make this so no other person has to go through this all of those things come together and you really have to look at the whole system. You have to listen carefully and find how do we change this and what are the levers. And when you think something's been done, it often isn't. And you got to keep trying and keep going at it from another direction and triangulate it until you actually get big change.
2: That's so important, Allison. Uh, I wonder if we could be a little more specific though. Um, So how do we get those who investigate these crimes to take them more seriously? How do we get the public to take this more seriously? How do we find the resources systematically to do this?
3: Well, first of all is you have to understand that there are ways to do this better than others. You know, and a detective who's never been trained can't do better until they're trained. And so you have to understand that if you want the system to work better, you have to make investments. Some of these investments in the scheme of the city are not that huge, but the issue is that you have to make the right investments and you have to have the right people in place who understand there needs to be a culture change. Um, not only do we have a new DA, um, we have a new chief, um, and while I didn't vote for his confirmation, I have pushed really hard – on him to improve his response to sexual assault, as did my colleagues, and I think he's listening to that. You have to change, you know, who's commanding the sex crimes unit. You have to elevate the person who's in charge of victim services. All of these pieces have to come together and everyone has to be moving in a single direction to provide this justice and healing.
1: Um, Hannah, in terms of changing the culture of our society and our city, do you think there's an opportunity to start young, to get young people like myself uh, talking about issues of consent uh, from from a young age?
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I mean, I think that's where it has to start, right? Um, And continue to grow this with the youth. Um, There's opportunity at very young ages to help young kids, much younger than yourself, Zachary to understand what um, appropriate boundaries look like and appropriate um, consent looks like um, for their age appropriateness. Um, it's also been very difficult to actually bring a lot of um, this conversation into the school systems. It's one that um, is, I don't want to say controversial, but there's a lot of opinions about how it should be taught um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, I also think that it's one that has its own challenges that we've got to figure out how to continue to work through, knowing that there are a lot of different opinions around this issue and how we engage with our youth on it.
2: I, I think that's so well said. Uh, Allison, what what measures has the city taken with regard to education and what have you learned in, in that space?
3: Well, if I have to say an area that we have not done enough that would be in terms of stopping sexual assault from happening in the first place Um, because of the lawsuits, because of, you know, what we learned about the response system, we've been really focused on that piece, but it'd be much better to stop the sexual assaults from happening in the first place. Um, We do have programs in our schools, um, but it's never, it's never enough given the messages that, Hannah was talking about before that are expressed throughout our society and that men in particular absorb.
2: And and what about public education, Allison? Is there a way, and I mean public education, not in schools, I mean in terms of public awareness. uh, Do you have a public awareness policy around this?
3: Our public health department may have programs that they work on in the schools that I'm not aware of, um, but we have not launched that kind of program yet. But that would certainly be uh, a next step that we should be considering in terms of awareness, just as we're launching gun safety programs and different programs for our violence prevention programs. um, There are opportunities with respect to sexual assault, respect to domestic violence that we should be investing more into.
2: And, and I, I love that answer because I think one of our points week in and week out in this podcast is that when you look at the history of our democracy, as you and Hannah have so well in, in this discussion, you see there actually are more opportunities than we realize, that we, we sometimes get stuck in bottlenecks uh, and grooves of uh, recurring debates and underexplore the what what Franklin Roosevelt would call the many many different elements of our democracy that can be involved in in raising awareness and and teaching people and and providing support. Um, and I think that just the the way that this conversation is ranged, you know, beyond policing to include health and and schools, I think it's so so instructive. Um, Hannah, we always like to close with an optimistic note, using this history to go forward. What what are you most uh, eager and excited to see in terms of further progress in the next, uh, I hope it's not three years before we have you on again. Let's say one year. What do you hope to see?
0: Yeah. You know, I really hope that that um, the settlement in the lawsuit that we brought forward, I think for all the right reasons, continues to see all the right changes that we hoped that it, it, it did and, and will um, continue to make going forward. Um, i i personally hope to move into more of the space that we've been talking about today and, and that is dialoguing with community around this issue and being able to come at it from a from a, a, a deeper more personal level rather than policy albeit policy is still incredibly important um, so you know that's where i'm continuing to look at the current um, at the current stage i've also through this journey um, have written a memoir so i'm in the process of um, learning that whole world of, of how to um, publish a book that I've written um, largely on my experience as a survivor and as an advocate.
2: Wow. Well, we hope to have you on to talk about your book um, and to, to learn from, to learn from your book. Allison. what are you hopeful for in the next year, particularly from the perspective of a, of a, a municipal policymaker?
3: Well, first I hope that the survivors, the plaintiffs who were, brave enough to sue the city and the district attorney attorney in the county um, get a measure of healing from the settlements that we were able to reach and that they can reflect on how the actions that they took, their willingness to speak up and share their stories, their persistence in pushing elected officials and policymakers that that is making a difference in many people's lives. So I think that's one. Um, Of course, I hope that all of our reforms get implemented. We will also be getting a study back uh, that we initiated for a comprehensive evaluation that will have further policy reforms in it. I hope we will implement those. But I hope that we can be a model for other cities so that other cities can Recognize that they have a problem, that they can improve their response to sexual assault so that it delivers healing and justice, that they can take on this system by collaborating with survivors, with other parts of government, and really examine and say, We have a problem. How do we fix it? And learn from all of the information that's out there of the many ways that. We can improve our system. Then, as you added, um, you know, in our discussion of education, I think we need to we need to see what is the city's role in stopping sexual assault from happening in the first place. There's certainly a connection between finding the perpetrators and and people being held accountable, and to people feeling comfortable reporting. But what are the other ways that we, as a city, can think about how we stop the violence in the first place. We've been talking a lot about that next step of what happens after the assault. Um, but what, what can we do? Because um, no one should experience sexual assault in the first place.
2: Uh, Zachary, I think that that opens up your space here in particular. Um, How do young people respond to this and what are the ways in which young people can be more participatory? I hear Allison saying we need a more participatory approach. I hear Hannah saying we have to not just think about this in old ways. Uh, Clearly, this puts a lot of onus on younger people who are coming into the system. Uh, How do you see this from that perspective?
1: I think young people have really already uh in, in in many cases embraced uh the this this new understanding of 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 the origins of sexual violence and the the deeper cultural problems that that promote it. Um I think that the problem is that we're not really uh we're not really addressed at a mature level uh from a young age. I think that too much of our um, too much of our sex ed education is centered around uh, obscuring the truth, or 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 trying to sugarcoat uh, the harsher realities of the adult world. And I think that to a certain extent, young people are are sort of thrust into this this into these cultures and institutions that don't really. That don't really um, understand them, and that they've never really been taught to understand. And I think that that that's really where the a lot of these problems are coming from.
2: Right, right. Hannah, last question to you, just following up Zachary's uh, point. How can young people who don't want things sugarcoated and obscured, as Zachary described so well, uh, how can they take ownership themselves? How can they get involved?
0: Yeah, I I would love to keep hearing that keep hearing those words that Zachary just said from our youth, they need to keep raising their voices um, and saying that they, they see it differently and they want to hear it, you know, the reality of it. Um, I think that opens up um, the older generations um, eyes and approaches to um, reconsider maybe how they've been trying to deliver those messages in the past. So Um, I I just encourage our youth to keep speaking up. Um, I encourage our current generation to start looking at this issue um, with a different lens, Um, understanding that where we came from and history matters. But in order for us to actually get to the change that we want, we're going to have to change the way we're doing things today.
2: And Allison, as a um, political leader... Uh, who faces crosswinds from different priorities? Um, there are many people who don't like it when the police are criticized, for example. Um, how do you see young people helping as we go forward?
3: I think young people have an opportunity to help those of us who are older to recognize where there are real problems that we may not have noticed before, um, that we should have noticed. You know, sexual assault. We think in Texas affects two out of five people, so it's a it's a real problem. But a lot of people go through their life not recognizing it. Um, the use of force, other things, saying you know wh- that's not right. We can do things differently. There's got to be a better way. Um, that willingness to look at situations and shed light on them in different ways. Is and can be extremely powerful.
2: And, and how do we make young people feel like the political system matters for them in that way, Alison? That 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 they should voice their themselves their their words and their perspective that way.
3: Well, the some of the women in the settlement, you know, were assaulted at really young ages and have been pushing and pushing, and you know they have made a whole city and a county recognize that the system didn't serve them well and have made change happen.
2: It's inspiring. And I and I think, uh, Hannah and Allison, uh, you're inspiring. I hope all of our listeners take away, uh, again, it's a central message of our podcast each week, but it's more relevant and more uh, effectively transmitted in your discussion today than in any other week. I think the the importance of people um, having their voices heard, making their voices heard, pushing their voices to be heard, especially young people who have such valuable perspectives and are so essential to the growth of our democracy. Uh, Hannah and Allison, uh, we want to thank you for all the work you've done and for being with us uh, today. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
2: And Zachary, of course, thank you for your poem and for your uh, reflections as well. And thank you most of all to our loyal listeners uh, for joining us for this week of This Is Democracy.
1: This podcast is produced by the Liberal Arts ITS Development Studio. And the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. The music in this episode was written and recorded by Harris Codini. Stay tuned for a new episode every week. You can find This is Democracy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.
0: See you next time.